Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Who wants to go first? We're going to do some trials and triumphs. I can go. Okay. Oh, okay. I, mine's, I'm staying consistent, guys, with being crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, house triumph is they are supposedly pouring slabs right now. Oh, for, that's exciting. Yes. Big, big, mm-hmm. big day. Okay, so the next layer was, so they put in plumbing into the literally the clay of the floor, and they put in all the pipe to have the water go away from our house. They put down like the little pebble rocks that go under with the concrete. So the concrete's supposed to be poured. So the basement will now officially be, have a basement floor, which is exciting. And then the slab that will be the back porch, I believe. And the garage slabs, which is like we're doing a, we're doing a one car garage separately, little building. They'll have like little storage on the backside for gardening stuff. And then um, the double car garage is attached to the house. So that slab will be poured. So that's very exciting. Which is That been, is very exciting. It's been raining so much um, here in Atlanta that everything, that it's gone. We, that, you know, our uh, builder was over there literally pumping water out of our basement walls so that it could get dry enough oh, wow. to like pour this slab. So I say that because they're supposed to be doing it right now, but it could like downpour and ruin everything. So that was my triumph. I'm using it as a triumph even though it's TBD, but it's supposed to be happening. And then my trial was Saturday, we woke up to a lovely email saying our water was out. The <laughs> Yeah, so the pipe literally across the street, the main water pipe just broke and was spouting water like everywhere. And so none of the houses on my street had water. So we went and got water, you know, so we went and bought some bottled water to make it through the day and it came on. I mean, these poor guys worked in the hot sun like all day, Mm. like all day. We felt bad. Did you take them treats or Gatorade or something? Uh, We only had like a few cold ones. We literally like mostly have cold beer, which is (laughs) so sad, but so true. (laughs) And, but we had, we had a few Gatorades. We had a Coke. We had like one water, like cold, right? Everything else was just like out, you know, we have them out, not cold so we took those down and they said thank you or whatever and then we took them some like cookie snacks or whatever we had in bags but um they left and when I gave the kids baths and stuff like that and I took a shower and then I was trying to do some dishes around 10 p.m and all of a sudden no water is coming out again it rebroke oh though. no and the guys came back out at 11 30 David was awake so he heard when they like came back out and like worked through the night and like fixed it, so it's a it's a mess over there. They didn't clean up their mess after, but they got a pipe working. So <laughs> I give it to them. But yeah, so that was my trial. That was um, I was like, cool, cool. I don't need water. It's <laughs> yeah, and it's like a hundred degrees, right? Oh, it's like yeah. so. Yeah, you didn't even feel like oh, we can just go for the day on a hike or like you're like, well, don't get too sweaty. What if we can't bathe? Like <laughs> seriously, we, we, yeah. We that's when clean. you call a friend and you're like, yeah, sleepover. That's true. Yeah, you know, that's true. or whatever. But. 
something about it, I kept being like, it's not electricity. So it's like much better. We've lost electricity so often that I was like, don't open yeah. the fridge is my reaction. But it was like, don't flush a toilet. <laughs> like, yeah. It was the wrong reaction, you know. Anyway, so those are mine this week. What, what? Well, 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 at least they're fixed. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's not that bad. My trial is in my backyard. I'm looking at it right now I'm out the window. There is construction going on in the backyard that they're kind of wrapping up. Um, a, a nice forest yes. that was back there is now oh, three duplexes. Now three duplexes oh. in a row. Right, right oh. against our fence. Like right no. against our fence. At least no. they at least they painted the house a decent color. But um, there goes our sunset and all of these kind of like, you know, just kind of nice things. Oh, that's super sad. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh. It's okay. I mean, I got to enjoy it every single night of the pandemic. So there's that. <laughs> I, Small I, I really, I really got, I really got that time in there, enjoying that backyard. Silver lining right there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always you did you always got extra trying, time at home, extra time to enjoy yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So Have you known this at, was happening? I knew that it was going to happen sometime, just because I knew of some of the neighbors had gone to city hall to try to block some other mm-hmm. development. Yeah, so I knew it was going to happen. I didn't realize it was going to happen so close to the fence. Yeah. Cuz it's mm-hmm. right up on the fence. But the triumph of that is that we got seven arborvitae trees planted back mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Nice. And Did you did you just do it or Yeah. So they're they're probably about 5 feet high now and they're going to grow mm-hmm. about 3 to 5 feet every year. So, nice. you know, yeah. I, it's... You'll it's, just have a nice green a, backdrop. A nice green wall someday. Yeah. But this thing is so huge. <laughs> it's it's so huge. It's like three stories yeah. three stories and an attic. You're just like Karen. Yeah. It's big. Where Karen's like watching this big old house go in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's your trial for sure. Yeah. What's your trial? And, yeah. tri- and, the, the and the triumph oh. is the trees. Oh, the, they'll, they'll oh grow. that's a good one though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's going to take many many years for them to really kind of hide everything that we see back there but yeah it'll, it'll be okay well as yeah. you're stuck at home still you'll be able to you know just watch them grow every day <laughs> you know that kind of has been the nice thing about moving into a place two weeks before shelter in place shut down yeah mm-hmm. because i've been able to watch how the light goes across my yard and where i want to put so you knew other where things to plant them. yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, and I also know where I want to do other gardening stuff. So, that's good. Yeah. Has it? Do you think the so the new duplex will like change the light conditions? I don't know. I don't know. I think it'll be okay because it's to the west of us. So mm-hmm. I think it'll be. So I think it'll be all right. Like not block too much daylight sun. Um, yeah. I think the bigger thing is the light pollution when people move in. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah. And hopefully you get good neighbors. I hope so. I like our neighbors now. We have great neighbors. All right, Caroline, what about you? Okay, well, okay, so I'll be honest. I have not been doing much the last two weeks because I had a terrible sinus infection, thought I was dying, mm-hmm. took a Z-Pack, so I'm all good now. But I will say that I've been thinking a lot recently about, um, like we had some people over a couple weekends ago just for like a casual breakfast, but um, – it sort of motivated Will and I to do like some good tidying up. And mm. like we, I feel like we 
keep our house pretty straight. I'm not talking about like cleaning. I'm talking about just like keeping it straight day in and day out, you know, where there's like not junk everywhere. Um, And I feel like that's a constant struggle. But I do feel like, well, what I was going to say is I've just been thinking a lot about how it is sort of a a really good habit and cycle to be in because I feel like it, when I do keep myself Mm -hmm. in that habit of keeping our house straight, it makes me appreciate and love our house even more. And like, Mm -hmm. it makes me so much happier and like feel more peaceful in our house when it is reasonable levels of messy. Like you can't ever have it, you know, perfect. But anyway, it's just a good reminder. Like, okay, like there's a good point to having it straight all the time because then you appreciate it more and then you, want to keep it straight more. Will you tell yeah. that will you tell that to Steve? I'd really love for you to tell that to Steve because anytime I try to just like keep straightening up, he's like, it doesn't need to look like the catalog. <laughs> I'm like, but but yeah, it it kind of does. There is I mean, a point there's, of a, like, there's a balance. There's a balance. There's a balance. Like I understand making a space livable, but to Caroline's point, you know how happy you are when it, yeah. when it looks good. Like, you know the feeling it gives you, and you're like, but I want that all the time. So how mm-hmm. – Right. Like, right now, I'm, like, diving deep on everything, even in our rental. Like, what can I make better? Mm-hmm. And I do think it's making – you know, in some ways, it drives David crazy. But in other ways, things have improved because I've been like, that just wasn't functioning. I probably watched too much home edit, but, like, you know. <laughs> I haven't started rainbowing everything, but I at least, like – you know, it's really talking about function. Like you're saying though, like, I'm like, okay, so this doesn't fit. This doesn't work anymore. Like, am I using this? You know, so I'm constantly doing that currently. And it does help every time I make a little moment a little bit better or hide something or Mm -hmm. yeah, but it's hard. I don't know. I feel like maybe Will is just like some sort of unicorn, but I do feel like in the early, I mean, we've been living together for like 10 years. So we, we have like kind of gotten into our system, but I feel like in the early years, like I was a lot straighter than he was. Mm-hmm. Now, he will occasionally tell me, not all the time, but he has told me before. Like, <laughs> I, he's like, you know, I just like it a lot more you when our house too is well. straight. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I like it. I like our house to be straight. And so he'll like kind of run around and, and tidy stuff up. And like there are things that he notices that I don't or I notice that he doesn't. But I just feel like it's a good and – I'm and I and here's the other thing. So – I think I mentioned last week that book that I was the parenting book I was reading, Hunt Gather Parent. It's I won't get into it, but one of the things they talk about is like including your kids, even really small kids, in daily chores. And so that's been something I've been trying to practice a lot as well. It's just trying to get Blair to be better about like picking up her bath toys or, you know, putting mm-hmm. her helping me put her laundry away or, mm-hmm. you know, just like helping around the mm-hmm. house so that it becomes a habit for her as well. So I don't know. It's just something I've been thinking a lot about and how it can really affect my my weekly mood and make my weeks better and, yeah. and not feel like the weekend hits, this is my time off and I have to spend the whole weekend like mm-hmm. straightening cleaning up. Yeah. If the house is already if I've been doing like a little bit every day. So I don't know. That's probably a very boring trial, but it has been on my mind. It's real. It's real. Well, especially if you're reading the book, you're like deep in. You're like, yes. Well, and I, and again, I'm not talking about cleaning. I'm talking about just like clutter, you know, and I feel like with a toddler, like there's little teeny things end up in the most random places. Like you could spend an entire day every day 
just returning things to like their rightful home. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I wasted why? approximately 15 minutes putting the fake cookie back in the fake little cookie bag and the fake popcorn in his mm-hmm. kitchen. Do you think he cares? No, but I care. And I was like, no, that cookie does not go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like like labeling toy bins. Oh, that's a whole thing. Because I'm like, yes, it's nice to have it all labeled, but yeah. Then I have to go in and put them in the labels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then I have just to go in away. and sort. Yeah. Just yeah. 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 Anyway. No, that's true. Just. Well, any learnings along the way, bring it on. Because everybody's, I feel like everybody's in the same bucket. There's nobody's like, oh, yes, I have it figured out. Everyone's like, what are you doing? Is it working? Tell me more. So. I don't know. What about y'all? I mean, I feel like, especially working from home recently, I'll just try to take like 10 minutes once a day in the middle of the work day to mm-hmm. just like, you know, like I'll wear my my Fitbit and get like get my steps in and just trying to sort of run around, change a load of laundry, just like those easy things. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, it's been the wonderful part about being home, I think, is like the little things that you that take only 10 minutes again. But like yeah. if you do them, you know, after work, it just seems so much more exhausting. So like you don't get home and feel like, OK, I got to change laundry, make dinner, do bath time, mm-hmm. clean right. up the house. This, you know, blah, blah, like it's, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can spread it out over yeah. eight hours instead of. Yeah, I tend to get up and walk away after a meeting. So if you try to catch me right after a meeting, you can't because I'm uh, walking around the house, kind of decompressing that's your, from like, that. Five minutes. That's my five decompressing minutes. Decompressing and like putting and, yeah, like, and walking around. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. clear my head for totally. the next thing. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah, and and even just like unloading the dishwasher or some like little task like that can help you totally list like yeah, sort of process what you've been discussing or yeah Mm -hmm. and just be able to move on to the next yeah Yeah. absolutely i will say i feel like that's the that's the silver i know like working parents have had such a rough go of covid but i do feel like to me that's been the silver lining in some ways i've Mm -hmm. had more work-life balance during the workday now granted my kids are in school Mm -hmm. my kids been in school but um just being able to feel like i can Mm -hmm. have a more flexible workday where i can accomplish household chores at the same time I can like I've even folded laundry like during <laughs> giant zoom meetings you know where you're in like a <laughs> oh camera off yeah little PSA so hopefully we can all do a, a little bit better of doing our Marie Kondo and tidying up a little bit mm-hmm. it's, it really is magic mm-hmm Okay, so our guest today is Kimberly Selden. She does a little bit of everything. She's an interior designer with her own full-service design business. She's hosted TV shows on HGTV, and she runs the very successful Business of Design brand that offers business coaching for interior designers. And with that, she's also got her own podcast called Business of Design, which shares her knowledge and business and know-how with other professionals in the design world. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. So nice to meet you both. Hello, hello. I don't think of myself as a person who does a little of everything. I feel like everything I do is kind of revolves around one hub, which is interior design. But it's interesting how you put that. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of a lot of different things dovetailing yeah. off interior design. Different, so. oh, You're different busy spokes, lady. Different spokes if we're going to stick to the bike wheel metaphor. There you yes. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I want to get started with your background because, and we often do this, but it's it's a little bit backwards. And I feel like it's very helpful in understanding sort of how you got to where you are today. As I understand it, you started in TV and then went to design school and then began hosting design shows. So it was sort of like a little back, go backwards to go forwards sort of thing. So, t- so tell, us, tell us how it all came about. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I uh, am originally from Los Angeles and uh, I think 48% of the population works in TV. So my first job out of university was in television and I worked at ABC, which was really fun and so exciting. And I absolutely loved it. And then the show that I was working on, which was Ripley's Believe It or Not, got canceled and we were all just devastated. So the boss came in and gave us the bad news and said, everybody's going to get an extra week of vacation and we're going to start with the youngest person. And I was 22 years old, I think. And he said, you're on vacation as of, as of Saturday. So I phoned my travel agent, said, I've got one week. None of my friends can go away because it's too last minute. And she sent me to Cancun, Mexico to a club med (laughs) Yes. And it was actually with Valerie Bertinelli's <laughs> mother is my tra- was my travel agent. Oh and my gosh. Valerie and Eddie Van Halen were getting married. So she goes, I'm crazy. Can I just pick it for you? I said, pick anything. I don't care. And of course, I met my husband. And <gasps> oh my um, I didn't know it at the time. But I got back to Los Angeles after having met this nice guy from Toronto. And I was looking for a new job. And I randomly landed a new job working on a movie that was filming in Toronto. I had absolutely no idea when I went for the interview, they were filming in Toronto. So it was meant to be, I ended up moving to Toronto, working in television for a little bit. And I just thought, I just wanted to try something new. You know, that feeling of like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to try something new. What would be fun? Oh, it'd be so fun to go shopping with other people's money. So I'm going to go to decorating school. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that mm-hmm. what everybody thinks it is? So I ended up in design school. Love, love, loved school. Loved the drafting and the drawing and the puzzle solving and all of that part of it. And was fully intending to just fo- focus exclusively on that. But about five years later, having had both of my kids, I ran into this friend from my old life in TV. And she said, yeah, we're starting this new thing, cable TV. And we're looking for people to come on and talk about decorating. I said, well, I guess I could do that. Like, you know, and then before you knew it, I had my own show. So that's how those two worlds came together. That was a long answer to your question. No, No. you had a lot to cover. And that is so funny that it's like... I mean, who knew Mexico could really kickstart your career? I mean... Exactly right. So, okay. So you you have a your own design show. I imagine that's giving getting you a lot of business. So is your how's your interior design business doing after the show gets started? So I ended up having three of my own TV series and um, the most popular one, Design for Living. I traveled all over the world and I interviewed great designers. And it was just, it was such an education for me because I was able to then apply what I was learning to the creative process of being an interior design professional. Now I do a show called City Line and it's a bit, 
if I would describe it, it's kind of like our Ellen DeGeneres. I'm on mm. every month and I answer decorating questions and show off projects and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, having that foot in television meant that the phone rang a lot and I ended up getting a lot of customers. And that was lucky because I struggled to make those customers happy. So I needed a lot of them to stay busy. And that sounds horrible to admit, but I ran into a problem that a lot of designers and decorators and architects face. And that is you have to be able to run a business, which is not something you really, as a creative person, you know that, right, Taryn? Like, oh, goodness. like being mm -hmm. able to run a business yeah. is a little bit tricky. So you have to be able to run a business and then you have to be able to run projects. And I'm not sure which one is more difficult. I think running projects is harder than running a business. And so I just found myself demoralized by not making my clients as happy as I wanted to make them. Let's put it that way. TV's much easier. <laughs> that makes sense. So, so how do you go about solving that problem in your in your business? Well, I really came to a crossroads where here I, here I am. I, my show's back to back with Martha Stewart. I'm really well known in Canada. My phone is ringing off the hook and I'm feeling more and more uncomfortable and ashamed that I'm not making 95% of my customers super, super happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody hated me. I, I wasn't, nobody's like, get out. We hate you. It was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, timelines just drag on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's a million decisions, always more decisions to make. Clients kind of run out of steam and they, you know, they kind of run out of enthusiasm for the project and it's just so demoralizing. So I ended up hiring a business coach and fortunately for me, she knew nothing about the world of interior design or decorating. And I say that because... 95% of people who run interior design, decorating, contracting, architecture firms don't know how to run projects and don't know how to run the business, but they're creative and they come up with lovely solutions to creative problems. So fortunately for me, she came from a background of banking and the automobile industry. And when I told her how my business ran, she, it was just hilarious to her. Like, why would anyone give you money when you run your business like that, right? <laughs> You were like, do not tell them. Right? <laughs> do not tell anyone. But I had her for more than a decade, and I've always had a business coach since then. And uh, it was transformative for me, for sure. And I shared the information with anybody who would listen, any designer who would listen. I'm stopping them on the street. Listen, listen, listen to what I learned. This is so important. It's really going to help you with right. clients. And I became kind of a zealot, you know. Yes. So how did that how did that turn into mm -hmm. business of design which is sort of like your other you you have this design firm but then you also have this whole other baby. You know, yeah, baby. <laughs> right. So, once I cleaned up my process for running projects, I began to make 100% of my clients happy. Maybe 100% is an exaggeration. I had one client in the last 10 years that we parted ways uncomfortably. So 99.9% .9 of my clients, I was able to make happy. And I just started telling friends. I told two friends, I told four friends, different things I was doing that worked dramatically better than the way I was doing it before. And the way, by the way, all my friends were doing it because, you know, you go to a cocktail party and everybody's like, oh, this is how I do it. And you're like, oh, I do it that way too. And we're all just bombing, like just bombing, but mm -hmm. nobody's saying that, right? Everybody's pretending everything is great. So 
little by little, people started asking me to come and speak to their groups. Will you come and speak to my ASID group? Will you come and speak to a group of friends of mine? I just started flying everywhere to, to tell people, like, there's a better way to do this. And so it just came about organically. Well, no, I was just curious if, like, what's an example of something that you mean? Like, how big are we talking? Are these small tweaks or are these, like, huge changes you're making to your business or your process? Massive, massive change from the way I used to run my business. So, so I'll give you an example. The way I used to run my business, if you, if you guys were my clients, I would come to your house and we would talk and you would tell me what you want. I would go away and a few weeks later, I would come back to your house and I would show you a floor plan and you'd go, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's exactly what we have in mind. And then you'd say, how much is it going to cost? And I'd say, oh, I, you know, I don't really know yet, but I'm going to tell you next time. And then the next time I would come back and I would show you a floor plan plus some elevations and maybe some fabrics. Oh, you'd say, these are amazing. I love them. How much is it going to cost? Okay. Well, I'm not sure yet because I have to get some pricing, but I think it's going to be about, I'm just going to make a number up a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my God. That's really expensive. I don't know. Oh, okay. Is that too much? How about, you know, 80? Oh, that's still too much. Okay. 50. What, you know, like I'm just making stuff up. I have no clue. So mm-hmm. then I go away and I would pick some more things and I would come back and now we're, we're having our fourth or a fifth or a sixth meeting. And you as a client, you started out all excited about looking at my mm-hmm. plans and the fabrics, but now you're kind of getting impatient. Like, Hey, Kimberly, how much is this going to cost me? When mm-hmm. am I going to know what this costs exactly? And when am I going to know how long this is going to take? And it took me like, you know, six, seven meetings to get to that point. And that is the way, sadly, 99% of interior design firms, landscape architecture firms, architecture Mm -hmm. firms still work today. So my business coach and I would have these, she didn't know how to solve the problem, of course, because she didn't run an interior design business, but she was really good at keeping me focused on what would make me happy if I were the client. Hmm. If I were the client and I wanted to, you know, renovate my kitchen, I could handle one or two meetings and then I would want to know some hard facts. And so we just kept chipping away at it until I got my process down to two meetings and then hard facts. And, and then I chipped away at it until I got that process down to six weeks, no matter how big the project is, six weeks, maybe eight weeks if we're building a house, you know, if we have an empty lot and we're building a home, we need eight weeks. We might need even 10 weeks for something like that. But most of the time, six weeks, eight weeks max, we can take the client's, take the client's wish list and turn it into a presentation with a, a proper written estimate. And then wow. the clients are still shocked at how expensive things are. That doesn't change the client perspective of, oh my God, we didn't want to spend that much money. But at least then they have all the facts and they can begin to make decisions about what they want to do and what they're not going to do now. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yes. Wow. And eight weeks, that's really fast. I mean, six weeks is crazy fast. That's yeah. Well, six weeks would be if we're decorating, <clears throat> you know, if we're decorating a, the the main room of a, a whole a whole house, you know, just right. decorating. We can turn that around in four to six weeks. But if we're building, we need more time for exploring and talking to our architects and stuff like that. Wow. I, I do want to get into your design work, but maybe just kind of give us, give people a, a quick kind of 
um, how that those the speaking engagements that you were going on turned into your actual business of design brand. Funny enough, so I I began to, I was starting to get kind of a reputation. We were getting calls all the time and I love to travel. So, you know, people are calling and saying, will you come and speak to our group in Vancouver? Sure. So I'm booking a flight with my own money and I'm flying to Vancouver and I'm speaking to groups and I'm really enjoying it because I'm also learning what's working. So every month I have more good information to share and it's really an exciting time. But as my process got cleaned up, we were making a hundred percent of our clients happy. So you can imagine how much business I had. I now have Mm -hmm. three full design teams, uh, working around the clock plus extra contracted help. And we're doing 40, 50 projects a year. Like it is booming and it's like I'm printing money. It's crazy. I'm making (laughs) money. I'm happy. It's just phenomenal. And so I really feel like it's my life's mission to go tell other people how I'm doing it. Like, you know, I can't service everybody. Come on. There's like, this is an amazing business if you do it a particular way. So at that point, it was 2003. I began profit sharing with my staff. So the design team, they were working so hard. It was another way I thought, I'm going to give them this benefit where they're going to share profits as well. And that way, I'm going to keep everybody fully engaged and connected and wanting to stay with me for life because that's what you want to do, right? Like I want these amazing people to stay with me for life. So in 2004 or 2003, as we're... um, looking at the year end and I'm telling everybody what their profit share is going to be. Somebody says, Hey, what's this, you know, $42,000 for travel expenses. And I said, Oh yeah, well I, that's me. I'm flying to Vancouver. I'm flying to California. I'm flying to New York. I'm staying in a hotel. I'm renting a car. I'm having a great time. Right. I'm sort of thinking this is like, it's a write-off, right? So I'm getting to go to all these great cities on, quote, business. I'm not getting paid. I'm paying for it myself. And the team, because I was profit sharing, said, we don't want to pay for this. That's not fair. So I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are so greedy. I can't believe it. <laughs> and um, somebody who worked for me at the time said, you have to figure out a way to monetize um, this work mm-hmm. and it can't come out of the design team. The design team doesn't want to pay for it anymore. And so business of design was born. We said, okay, we'll do a seminar and we'll charge, I don't know what I charge, like 50 Mm -hmm. bucks or something. And we had 200 people there. And it was the first time I did like a really official thing. And as I'm telling what it used to be like and how hard it was, people are crying. I mean, It just, my message, it turned out I thought I was totally alone. I was the only one failing. Everybody else was doing great. But Mm -hmm. when I started telling the truth about what was happening in my business, man, people just came unglued. And they're like, oh my God, me too. That's my story. So it just became my passion project. I love the BOD people, the members of Business of Design are my posse, my tribe, Mm -hmm. my people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. You pay all this money to go to a design school and you come out with all of this knowledge and excitement and then it sounds like just running your own business can be really crushing if you don't really know what you want to do. So such a great tool for people to have, you know, access to all of your knowledge and I'm sure the other members' knowledge and all this collective help 
Well, it's such a funny area because if you think about it, again, it's such a creative passion and life project, right? To be like, I want to do design and to be that creative person, but also run a business is usually such a different mind. Mm-hmm. And I know you could you could undergrad design and then move and get your MBA in business and put them together and hope that it shakes out. But to your point, it's usually just, I don't know, like my husband got his MBA. I have zero interest. But again, I think that's because I'm a creative type and I'm like, oh, run a business. Gross. Like, <laughs> so, so I can see how, you know, you start your design firm and think this is it. This is how I'm going to do it. So this is such a unique opportunity for people to learn. And like you said, to be open. And I think that is such a neat niche. And the fact that you have that is also part of your business and who you are. Like you were saying, you didn't even see it as separate pieces. It's so wonderful that you can think both ways. Yeah, I I really, I just feel like I'm so lucky I stumbled into some solutions. I really am. And I think the biggest problem is when you're a creative person, this is what I thought anyway, when I was in design school, I thought that the job was 80% creative and 20% business. And it's totally backwards. It is 80% business and 20% creative. And we know how to do the creative part. We all know how to do the creative part. We actually need to study the 80% business and you don't do any of that in design school. Not at all. I mean, not when I went to design school, it was absolutely useless what we learned. So it's really, it should be a business education and then like a, like some specialty in whatever it is you're creative at landscaping, painting, it's all the same business. Do you think that people or like young designers who maybe work for a larger design firm get some of that knowledge when they're sort of being mentored by someone or are they also just floundering? (laughs) Yeah, I would say most design firms are floundering and most don't know that they're floundering because you're making some money, you're making some clients happy. You know, if you do this business for 30 years, you figure some things out, right? You, You figure things out, but you churn through a lot of people you could have made super happy by figuring it all out. So I don't think necessarily you learn good habits working for somebody else. If I was going to be interviewing with a design firm, I would ask what's their profitability like, because you should be making a lot of money and how many, what percentage of their clients are repeat clients. Because if you don't have repeat clients, definitely something's wrong, right? Your client, like I have clients now who come back to me for the third or fourth project and like I'm doing their kids' houses. It's a, it's a tough industry. There's no question. No, that's interesting that you say that you should ask that in a design, in, like, you know, if you're interviewing a firm, like mm. questions you should ask the person interviewing you. I feel like yeah. we often don't feel like we're on the offensive, I guess, when yeah. we're in interviewing, we're on the defensive. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's a good thing to consider. I want to talk about that ca- your cabin first that you recently did that what I loved about it is you spoke to how it was a cabin in the woods, but how not to make it feel so cliche, go above and beyond with a theme, and then you've made it gross and ick. So how do we stay kind of and make such a beautiful one like you did? How do we do it? 
It's funny that you say that. I actually don't, we never theme anything. And we kind of joke about the Epcot Center style of decorating where, I'm going to say this because I know she won't listen to the podcast, but I have a really good friend who's got a a place in uh, Sun Valley and it's called Owl's Nest and there are owls everywhere. There's owls on the dishes and there's owls on the towels and there's owls in the wallpaper and there's owls in the crystal. And it's like, oh my God. Gosh, it feels like a theme park. Like, stop mm-hmm. it, stop it, stop it. <laughs> so I'd say right away, like, try not to get too themey to Epcot Center. So my philosophy is the home where it should be connected to the landscape, to the architecture. So in that particular setting, they're in the woods. They're really in a beautiful part of northern Ontario, surrounded by lush forest and lakes. So if they came to me and said, we want to do a Victorian style, I'd say, no, this never, this is not going to happen because you can't ignore where you are, right? And you can't ignore the architecture of a home. So for me, it's a, it's kind of a three-legged stool. It's location and setting, it's client preferences and wishes, and it's the architecture of the home. Those three things have to work together. So, so then when you walk in, it's, it feels just right, right? If you mm-hmm. walk in and one of those things isn't working together, you may not even consciously know what it is, but something will just be a little off for you, right? And so one of the toughest things we have to do with clients is saying, I appreciate that you want a, a, a house that looks like a Florida beach house, but we can paint all of this house totally white Right. And we can use sand and blue color palette and it's in the middle of the forest. It will never feel like a beach house. Right. You'll just be throwing money away and it'll be tragic. So part of our job is to just, you know, steer clients toward appropriate choices for their projects. If that makes sense. I love that three-legged stool analogy because I think that's, that's so smart and people will I, I, I feel like often friends of mine trying to tackle their own home might be paying attention to two of those. You know, they, mm-hmm. either they like, Taryn and I are always dogging on ranches, which we can because we both live in a ranch or you used to live in a ranch. <gasps> well, okay, but, I love a ranch, um, but I can dog on a ranch. Yeah, so, you know, maybe they buy a ranch and they're like, oh, but like I really love like a really traditional Cape Cod. So I'm going to try to make it into, or like I want a farmhouse. So I'm going to try to make this ranch into a farmhouse. And it's like, okay, well but it's not a farmhouse and you don't live in a farm. You live in the middle of the city. So it's like, it, it's all very weird, but so it's like, it, it's, you have to have all three of those things. Right. But how do you, how do you say I love farmhouse, but I live in the middle of a city in the South? How do I not overdo it, but kind of get what I want visually or, you know what I mean? Well, if it's your three-legged stool, do you take? Do you kind of like yeah. give thirty percent to a little bit of farmhouse? Yeah, I don't know. I don't That's know. I think Where do you look at? Maybe you have a painting no. of a farmhouse. <laughs> Seriously, I got kind of hardcore with my clients. I'm like, no, that's not. No, I, not that's what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like. What about stripes or like? What, what, what do, do you think? mean? What do you mean like, by stripes? Well, I mean, like, think about things that feel very, like, to me, like a stripe, like a... Oh, how you just love stripes, so you want a stripe? 
no matter no, what. No, I just th- I think of stripes as being like very casual. Like you would mm. see it in a farmhouse. If you went to a farmhouse, they'd have, probably have a lot of stuff in uh, stripes or uh. checks or fabrics that have that vibe, but are not like mm. they don't necessarily scream farmhouse. They could in yeah. that setting, but like they sort of speak to it, but not in an overt way. I don't know. You said barn painting, so I'm trying to <laughs> go with that. <laughs> I appreciated that. Yeah, no, Do I Do you did. know the other thing I tell clients? I'll say, imagine that you've been invited to a really important event, and what's the event? And so you guys tell me. Give me give me the name of, of an event that you would love to be invited to. The Met Gala. <laughs> okay, the Met Gala. I was going to say the awesome. same Awesome, Met Gala. Really? So I'm going to assume that for the Met Gala, you kind of visualize a beautiful ball gown, right? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but then you're like, wait a minute though. You know, I also love resort wear and linen pants. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm going to throw on, I'm going to have a beautiful sequined flashy Met Gala top, but I'm going to wear linen pants on the bottom because I'm also kind of a resort wear girl. And then you're like, oh, I also really, really, really love, <laughs> right? Golf wear. I don't know. I'm totally making this up. It's horrible. I'm, I'm picturing all this and loving it. That's what yeah. I Yeah. <laughs> and then you wear golf shoes with your linen pants and your Met Gala top. And then you're like, oh, I've always wanted to be a rancher. So I'm going to top it off with a cowboy hat. <laughs> now you just look unmedicated, right? Like something's <laughs> happened to your medication and you've Fair. shown up in the Met Gala and everybody's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is tragic. Or or I don't know anything about fashion. Probably everybody go, oh my gosh, she's so brave. It's so fantastic. Look at Maybe her. we picked a poor example because I feel like a lot goes at the Met Gala. Okay, like, yeah. You can yeah. really get away with it. Okay, a lot but there. so imagine you're going to no, a good. Sunday barbecue. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'd wear a linen pants and a sandal and a jean jacket mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. But you wouldn't suddenly throw in a sequin top. And that's what I tell people you do with your homes. Like you buy a ranch, mm-hmm. but you're like, oh, I really love Cape Cod. And so now you're like, hmm, something's it's going to be tough to so pull as a, it off. And then as a guest, you'd walk in and be like, what's weird here? Something yeah. feels weird. So people feel like, you know, the problem is when you're, especially consumers, right? Like, oh, I love this sofa. It's red. And now, oh, I love this vase. It's blue. And now, oh, I love this. You know, I I really think everything starts with a plan, whether you're decorating for yourself or your, or your professional decorator, a really solid plan that, that really describes what's the mood and the feeling you're trying to create, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Because if the mood and the feeling you're trying to create is a Zen ranch, I'm totally making this up, of course, a Zen, peaceful, quiet, nestled in the woods ranch, you're probably not going to have a red sofa. Even though you like the red sofa, nothing's yeah. wrong with the red sofa. Like it's never the sofa's fault. <laughs> the I, sofa I just wasn't said. meant for the right. Zen Ranch. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. but it would look like amazing you, at the Met Gala. <laughs> I like what you it's say true. about being a consumer, though, because I do feel like when I stopped thinking about like when I started realizing that design is so much more than just picking out attractive things. It's it's not taste. Like, sure, having great taste is going to get you a long way. But the plan and like the actual and to your point, the mood that you're trying to create are so much more important. You can have fantastic taste, pick out a great looking sofa. But if the sofa does not 
it's not the right scale and the back is too high for where you're putting it or the arm is does not work with whatever, then it doesn't matter how great looking it is if it doesn't look good in context, I guess. So yeah. I feel like when I started realizing that just for myself, my spaces started to become a lot more successful. So mm-hmm. it's just a and reminder can, to people yeah. like don't don't just go in and say like, oh, I like the the way the sofa looks. Like you have to think a lot more practically mm-hmm. and situationally than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, Caroline it's and I have talked about it just between the two of us too. Like when we we've reached an age now where we or just a life phase where we have thought about and done a whole room versus just like piecing things together because you know it's a, at a certain age you're just piecing things and then you yeah. get to a, you get to a point where you get to finally plan I feel like and when you do it just feels the room just works and you're like oh that was magic how did yeah. that happen and it's because you had a plan you had thought mm-hmm. through the pieces it wasn't it is a magical feeling that I hope people can experience when they do it correctly yeah. when you think ahead and plan yeah. and not just shove Okay, so back to your cabin in the woods, though. I did want to, I loved seeing that example and and kind of reading what you were saying about campiness or cliches, because I felt like you, the materials were really what spoke to the setting a lot. For example, in this cabin in the woods, like there were some really beautiful sort of stone floors, stone fireplaces, wood beams, that kind of thing. And it was almost just like those elements gave you so much connection to the space that then you went super like contemporary, almost modern and sleek with the furnishings. And you could because you'd already sort of checked that box. Yeah, it's funny. That's a good example where the clients wanted modern. They wanted modern. I'm like, okay, we're going to be able to do modern furnishings, but they have to be the same materials as what's already here, the pine, the stone, you know what I mean? You have to, you have to stay in the lane. So her house in the city is pure white. Everything is white with a little bit of black. And that's really what she loves. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's just going to be sad here. You'll just be, it'll just be tragic. So Mm -hmm. that's a really good example of where we had to keep the clients reined in. It's hard as a consumer, I think, to have discipline, right? Because you go, mm. like, you go on your website and there's so many fun things. I mean, I love so millions hard. of things, but I only have one house. Yeah. And I only have one living room that needs lamps. And so mm. there's a thousand lamps to choose from. Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to pick the lamps that are mm-hmm. right for my house? Right? It's really, it's complicated. Mm. You're right. Discipline is like, it's and it because it's a com- I feel like we all get so much practice with our closets where you because you can buy some like a top like you can kind of go out on a limb with a top it's just one top but it's not the same with a rug like once you get a rug yeah no like what you yeah. that's that's it, your one and only rug in that room right you know like so right. it's yeah. I feel like sometimes the the analogy about like about um, decorating like you drag is, is yeah is it applicable and then sometimes it's kind of confusing because you can take a lot more risk in your closet I think than yeah well you can take more risk with the lamps than you can take with the sofa that, you true. can take a risk mm-hmm. with a bowl and also the other kind of rule of thumb I use is the 80 20 rule for decorating if 80 percent of the room 
is really carefully orchestrated and it hangs around the same look and the same feel, go crazy with 20%. Mm-hmm. It won't matter. It'll feel great. Mm-hmm. And if I always illustrate that by thinking about the TV show Frasier, if you guys remember that TV show Frasier, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then the dad had this uh, crazy lazy boy chair in mm-hmm. the living room. And the 80% of his Frasier's apartment is just super sleek and modern and wood and African masks. It's so sexy. The 20% is the lazy boy chair. And when you think about that TV show and that set, all you remember is the lazy boy chair, (laughs) right? So the 20% really matters. The 20% that stands Mm -hmm. out matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where you could have your farm in the ranch, I guess, (laughs) you know, make it all a ranch house. And then, you know, one piece that looks like it belongs on a farm would be super interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's great. That's good. Good advice, too. And I mean, it's as we speak to, there's only one real focal point in a room. So again, back to that, if the 80% is busy and crazy and wild, then <laughs> what are you going to focus on? Right. <laughs> right. And that focal point should be the most precious, wonderful thing that you want everybody to notice, right? I'm not mm. sure it would be that lazy boy chair from the Frasier set, but there it is. <laughs> that's the focal but point. But yet, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought you did a great job with your um, the city mouse country home that you had on your website. Um, you really spoke to what I assumed again was a if it was a country home you were doing for a city mouse. There was probably to your point twenty percent glam or like shiny mm-hmm. things that made it feel really glamorous without it, but it fit a country home. Like your your the lights you have over the table, the black with the gold inside that would just really you know sparkle. That, that pretty wall too, that treatment wall with oh the mirrors. Oh my gosh, that geometric honeycomb kind of yeah, design. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It's fun to do this. I can't imagine. It must be so hard to be just a consumer because you only have one house, right? And I get to do mm-hmm. houses all the time. And I, I'm constantly getting to scratch the creative itch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the trouble, right? If you're decorating your home for yourself, you just want to change it up sometimes. So mm-hmm. you can do that. Change the pillows. Change a throw. Change those accessories that are fun and affordable and swap them out. Swap swap your old ones with a girlfriend. Give your, you know, one of your girlfriends probably love the things you're tired of. Yeah. One of the things I really liked in that project, because Taryn kind of spoke to it a little bit too, but it's, it's yeah, it's sort of a country setting, but has this sort of glam element to it. But it's also very neutral in terms of the color palette. But of course, it doesn't feel plain at all. It feels very lively. But one of the ways that I kind of, after really inspecting things, I love the way you were sort of working in different wood tones. Like there's a lot of different wood finishes. There are some antique pieces, like a farm table. And I, I do feel like wood is kind of a tricky thing for people. and even myself sometimes like trying to figure out how closely should the woods match? Do they need to match at all? You know, then you've got your wood floor. Then all of this whole house had these incredible huge windows too, where you're also seeing woods, an actual forest behind you. So how do you incorporate lots of wood tones in a cohesive way? I always tell everybody to think of wood as having two, there's two groups of wood. One group is casual and one group is formal. So casual wood would be pine, 
It could be a light colored oak. It could be, what else would be casual? Birch would be casual, light colors. Mm -hmm. And then formal would be walnut. It would be a darker oak. The darker the wood is, generally the more formal the look so that's a good rule of thumb but when you're mixing wood as long as you're sticking within those two lanes of it's either all casual or it's all formal you really can get away with a lot of mixing woods oh okay all right i like that that's so that's beautifully simple Oh, I love how many podcasts we've done and I still walk away with nuggets like this. But the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, sometimes we can be stuck in the past. And so we do a lot of country homes and people don't want them to look country. You know, those old tired cliches of what country decorating looks like. They don't want Mm -hmm. any of that. They want modern country. And I discovered this in the south of France, you know, for so many years, the French country decorating was so popular and everybody had blue and white tiles and they had some kind of rooster somewhere. And now in the south of France, nobody has that. Nobody has that. They've all moved on and they all have these beautiful contemporary country homes. So also be careful that you're not living in a past cliche and that you're, mm-hmm. you've are you stepped into what's happening now, which is much more sleek and modern than it used to be, right? For the moment. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years from now. I don't know. It's so funny. So, okay, this is sort of off topic, but I was, we, my husband and I started watching Yellowstone. I don't know if y'all have watched Yellowstone, but so in the show, mm-hmm. like they kind of, so like the main guy has a big like log cabin in Montana. It's all based in Montana. And so they, in one of the first episodes, they talk a lot about how like they hate this guy who's from California who built this like big glass house in Montana because it's all sleek and white. And it's like, like, how is this Montana at all? Like you're a Californian billionaire. You like don't know how to ranch. And then you Mm. build it. It's like, why are you in Montana at all? Anyways, sort of, it sort of is an interesting intellectual exercise about how, much you can push the design of your house and your architecture outside of the location setting that you're that we yeah. were kind of talking about like it's that three-legged stool <laughs> anyways okay well should we I, I wonder if it's time to do a decorating dilemma absolutely Ooh. we have a good one today yeah and Kat's got some good wood tones in mm-hmm. here too, so. That's perfect. So can, yeah. I'll read it, and then, Caroline, you can kind of describe it. All right, it's from Kat, and she writes, Hello, ladies. I have learned so much from listening to your podcast while we have been renovating our home. My husband and I have spent the last few months renovating a 1930s American four-square farmhouse. We have restored the original hardwood floors, and all the original trim work is in place. It's gorgeous. The floors and trim are our fur. Now, for my dilemma, drapery. I've listened to all the podcasts and done all the reading I can on drapery, and my question remains, how do I show off the beautiful woodwork without breaking a design rule? We don't need the drapery for privacy, but I would like it to finish the space and soften the noise. I have included a close-up of the trim at work and also a view of our living room and reception hall. There is one window facing west in the living room and one facing east in the reception hall. We will be watching movies and entertaining in this space. I would also love your thoughts on furniture as we don't have any. I'm ready to execute anything you tell me. (laughs) So sky's the limit, guys. Thank you for the fantastic podcast. And I appreciate all the design help you have given me. Kat. Okay, so yeah, Yeah. this room is sort of, I guess if you can picture a four square, you know that 
that classic layout and you walk in and then right in the room where you walk in, there's a big, gorgeous staircase with a wood rail. And then right off that room is her big living room. But all of the trim work, as she said, is is a really mm-hmm. pretty wood, very decorative moldings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure that I can really do this like Karen used to, where she (laughs) really (laughs) describes it. But yeah, it's sort of like two rooms and they're very connected. The case between them is is really wide. So it's almost kind of functions as one Mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. And the windows are traditional. So it's not full. Like, there's not too many windows, but. Yes. And they're just like double hung kind of single it's not a bay or any a bay, right, or, you yeah. know, a bank of windows or anything. What should she do? Can, Ooh, can I... Never ask a designer for an opinion unless you really want one. So I'm going to tell you what I would do. <laughs> and maybe Kat isn't going to like it. So I'm sorry about that, Kat. Uh, it's beautiful home. The windows are a little bit narrow. So if Kat mm-hmm. does what she's thinking of doing, which I think I understand what she's getting at, she would put the draperies outside of the window frames. And that is going to draw your attention to the narrowness of the windows, where if you would be willing to lose a bit of the wood behind the drapery and Mm. just see the glass, you will give the impression that those windows are much larger than they actually are. Mm -hmm. And there's enough wood in the space that I don't think you'd be sacrificing anything. You know, we've seen, we see the wood, we see it everywhere. It's all... Uh, it's all across baseboards. Mm-hmm. It's all across the door frames. It's on the staircase. It's in the front door. There's lots and lots of wood. You won't be missing it. So I would definitely not break that decorating rule. And I would, t- and, uh, I would make the drapes fall exactly as they should. And she's right, you know, acoustically that you'll, it'll just sound mm-hmm. better with draperies. And I do feel like mm-hmm. the house would be missing something if it didn't have proper draperies. And probably a beautiful pattern would be lovely. If you're afraid of pattern, maybe do something tone on tone for sure. What about shades or something in the, I know she didn't specifically ask about that, but do you think she should have a shade in the inside mount or outside mount or like what should she do there? We almost always do outside mount because especially with a narrow window, you just end up emphasizing the narrowness and you don't necessarily want to do that. When you do that, you actually make the room feel smaller. So uh, if you wanted to do an outside mount and Kent doesn't need to, she said she doesn't have any Mm -hmm. privacy issues, but let's say Mm -hmm. she did you, then we, what we would do is an outside mount, um, soft Roman where the Roman kind of sags in the middle. So it's just a little bit more relaxed. And then we would do draperies floor to ceiling on, on top of those so that you would only close the blinds when you needed privacy. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to save money, of course, then skip the blinds and just close the drapes when you need privacy. Yeah. I love your idea about the pattern because I do feel like, especially, you know, it's kind of unclear what color she's going with, but I'm sort of picturing like a light color on the walls. And then if she does this light color on the walls with a pattern drapery, it'll... In a weird way, like, yes, you might be covering up some of the wood, but it's going to draw your eye to the window. You know what I mean? It'll make so much more of a focal point. Totally. And the wood has more visual weight, right? When you look at the door frame, it's quite heavy visually. It's heavy. And that Mm -hmm. window is right opposite that door frame. A pattern on the window will create a nice balance in the room. Without Mm -hmm. that... If everything mm-hmm. is like, I know she's not going to do this, but if the walls are white, the furniture's white, the drapes are white, you're going to feel like the room's unbalanced. So mm-hmm. it's a good idea to get pattern on those windows. Yeah. 
Okay, now she does speak to even the furniture in the room. And being a 1930s farmhouse, what would you think she should put in the space, I guess? Well, the furniture in the room has got to support the function you want the room to accomplish. So she doesn't give us any clues about that. Is she trying to seat a family who gets together once a month and plays cards? Is she Mm -hmm. wanting to watch TV in that room? Does she host Christmas for 30 relatives? We just (laughs) don't have a clue about how she wants to use that space. So uh, for us, we use the largest furniture possible in a room in order to make it feel cozy, to make sure everybody feels comfortable sitting on it, like never, we would never skimp on scale. And then if she needs flexible seating, is it flexible seating for the occasional grandparent who comes over, in which case they need a proper chair with a back? Or is it flexible Mm -hmm. seating for a grandkid? In which case, maybe you can throw a couple of floor cushions on the floor and there's your Mm -hmm. flexible seating and they tuck underneath the coffee table when you're not using them. So there's just not enough information here to really give her what she needs. And it goes back to having a plan. And the plan always begins with, what do I need this room to do? What What has to be accomplished? How do we actually live? Not how do I think I might live in the future, but how do we actually live, right? Mm-hmm. How many people do we have over? Do we watch TV or do we never watch TV? Do we listen to podcasts in this room? Like all of those questions would matter a lot. Very insightful. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Kat, yeah, Kat, we helped you with the drapery question. So circle back with what you yeah. want to do in this space. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like she, it, yeah, we, it's what, like, what's her vision kind of speaking to what you're like, she's talked about kind of the the architecture of the house, but like, what is, how does she want it to feel? And like, what's, what's, she's got to come up with a vision before she can pick out furniture and, and, and even the paint color and the, and the panels. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the other thing we pick a paint color last. It's so funny when we do the presentation, they said we can do the whole house in eight weeks. We show them everything and then they'll say, what color are the walls? I'll say, I don't know. Until you approve all the fabrics, I'm not picking a paint color. The Mm -hmm. paint is inexpensive. It's relatively affordable. And paint's job is to make all the expensive things you bought look good. So buy the rug first. You mentioned the rug, Caroline, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to invest in a beautiful carpet, buy that first. And then you pick a paint color that makes that carpet look spectacular. Yeah. Well, we always talk about how there may be only three or four rugs that you really love. Rugs in particular are hard. There are millions of paint colors. I mean, you could even have it. There's a paint. You could have it custom made. So like, why would you pick a paint color first if there are infinite options if you only have like three rugs that you like. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like going to that really important event we talked about, the Met Gala, and you buy the lipstick first, and then you run around town with your red red bombshell lipstick trying to find a dress that goes with red bombshell. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. That's really yeah. hard. All right. Well, thank you, Kimberly, for all yes. of that. Thank you um, so much. Yes. I, this was a, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Thank you for chatting with us. <laughs> so good to meet you both. <laughs>
<laughs> can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, oh. subscribe to your podcast, all that stuff? Yes, I'm sorry. My name is kind of long, but it's Kimberly Seldon, K-A-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y-S-E-L-D-O-N. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, Business of Design at businessofdesign.com or on Instagram at something like that, business underscore design. I don't know what it is, but you'll find me and you'll find business of design. That was terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible promotion for my passion project, business of design. Yeah. That's so, oh, that's so me. Caroline, the marketing person is like, that was abysmal. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm about to come help you out. It's business underscore of underscore design is your Instagram handle. You're awesome. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Yes. Guys. She has her own podcast. So if you yes. want to listen to more about business and you have questions, because I know you guys have written to us many mm-hmm. a time asking about business, this is a great, great yes. resource. So we can't help you. Yeah. We can't yeah. help you. Caroline and I but are Kimberly zero can. help, but yes. yes. <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, if you guys think of a topic for our community on our podcast, please come on Business of Design. We never talk about how to decorate. Never, never. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's because your listeners already know. That's true. Pretty much. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. Awesome, you guys. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!